Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith, and I'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. You know, here at Ministry Watch, we bring you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, all designed to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. Regular listeners to this podcast know that um, these Ministry Watch Extra episodes are a chance for us to go deep with some of our editorial partners. And today I'm just delighted to have back on the program Julie Royce. Julie Royce runs the Royce Report, an investigative journalism website, a co-laborer in this crazy work with uh, with me, and uh, she also has a podcast of the same name. So, Julie, with that, welcome back to the program. Uh, thanks, Warren. Great to be with you. And, you know, Julie, I'd like to kind of, uh, you know, sometimes we're like all over the board whenever we have these uh, conversations about once <laughs> yeah. a month, but I'd like to kind of focus us uh, on a couple of stories this month. And um, uh, just because I think they're fascinating and they're, and I think they're worth a little bit of a, of a deep dive. One of them, uh, you're you're really a um, a participant in. You're not just a journalist in the doxing story. Right. And um, so, f- first of all, let me just set, kind of set this up a little bit. Doxing is in some ways a 21st century phenomenon. It's uh, uh, I guess it became I don't know if popular is the right word. Maybe infamous would be the right word. A couple of years ago, uh, in the uh, gaming world, when a bunch of um, you know male gamers started doxing female gamers, and by doxing I mean publishing their private information, which might include a home address, it might include phone numbers, it might include email addresses, and they publish it for the purpose of either intimidating someone or encouraging others to actually harass that person. And Julie, that is what happened to you. You were doxed uh, recently by uh, Phil Johnson, one of the staff members of out at um, at uh, of, of John MacArthur, kind of his right-hand man. So uh, kind of back us up a little bit. What was the story you wrote that really got him so angry, and what was the fallout from it? Yeah, so I wrote a story about John MacArthur's uh, lifestyle. He owns three houses, um, one that's over a million dollars in the Los Angeles area with an in-ground swimming pool and tennis courts. Um, He owns a home in Colorado with seven bedrooms and seven and a half bathrooms. (laughs) He owns another home uh, right next to a private golf course that apparently he has a membership in that's worth, you know, maybe seven, eight hundred thousand dollars. And, you know, it's kind of ironic because He's a very vocal critic of prosperity gospel preachers, and here he is, very, very wealthy. Now, a lot of people say, well, that's fine. You know, he wrote a lot of books, and probably that's all in royalties. But as I looked into it, I found out that he's actually taking three salaries for three jobs, uh, one at Grace to You, which is his broadcast ministry, which, by the way, Phil Johnson is the executive director of Grace to You. The other is for his church— uh, Grace Community Church, where Phil Johnson is an elder and pastor, and uh, and then the Master's University and Seminary. And it appears that even though he works part-time for some of these, uh, he's getting what, you know, he's getting over six figures for some of them. Um, in yep. fact, in one year, I think it was 2012, he got uh, about a half a million dollars just for two of his part-time jobs at Grace to You and at, you know, the Master's University and Seminary. So, um, this didn't make Phil Johnson very happy. There were other things there, governance issues where he had two of his sons serving on his board. One of his sons was treasurer of, of the Grace to You board. 
And then there's a, a son-in-law that, that's getting millions of dollars in contracts. And so there's just a, it seems to be a conflict of interest. So there's a lot of issues going on with John MacArthur and his ministry. So I, I wrote a story about that. It didn't make Phil Johnson happy. And Phil Johnson, for anybody who's ever encountered him, I had written something that was, you know, critical of the Shepherds Conference, which Grace Community Church puts on. Um, but it basically was just reporting that um, somebody had died from COVID who had, who had attended their conference and they hadn't announced it. And um, shortly after I reported it, then they announced it right away. Um, yeah, but Julie, let me interrupt you just for a second yeah. because you've raised you've raised a point that I want our listeners to understand, uh, and that is that you have been reporting on them for a while. Uh, I I have been following your reporting. Mm-hmm. I think it has been completely fair and appropriate. Um, but you. but let's be uh, you know let's be real here you, ha- you haven't been you haven't done much to endear yourself to them i mean they were they were not happy with the reporting that you have done up until now is that fair to say well it's very fair to say i mean when i reported on the shepherds conference i i honestly had never experienced this before uh, i've been in the public eye for a while and i've done critical stories on big celebrity pastors but the vitriol I got on that first story was so intense. I remember the initial volley of 10 tweets that Phil Johnson put out there. And it, it wasn't just – and this is the thing. It wasn't just um, – in fact, it didn't really look at the facts that I would reported or say, you know, this fact was wrong or that fact was wrong. It was really about – you you know, just I'm a hack reporter and it was personal. It was nasty. And I was just, I was so taken aback by that. I mean, I get that kind of stuff. All of us do who are journalists, but yeah, it was, it was, it was personal and it was a lot of name calling and I just wasn't used to that. So, um, so yeah, at, at the end of that, uh, in the midst of all that, I was researching the financial aspect of things. And I think that was the context for his response. Although, you know, at the time I hadn't reported anything financially, so I don't think the public knew that. Um, but then he sent me an email saying, and this email becomes important because this was the basis for his doxing, sent me this email, which just raked me over the coals and then said um, that he wouldn't be responding to anything, any of my questions, and neither would anybody in his organization. And that was it. And so... And so, yeah, it was, that was the context. So after I finally did the financial story several months later, I mean, I just did it um, almost, I mean, it's like 10 months uh, when I finally did it. Then he takes this email that he had sent me back in March and he um, posts a link. He, he doesn't, he puts out a tweet and says, you know, Julie didn't link to this uh, one of two documents and the other document too is is one that... Um, that I think he actually created in February, so I couldn't have linked to it. Um, mm-hmm. But but one of the documents was this. It was it was the email that he sent me, except it wasn't an email form. It was in a letter with Grace to You letterhead and my home address added to it. So it's like he had he had created a letter out of the email, and apparently just so he could put my personal home address on it, and then he tweeted it out to his like over fifty two thousand. Twitter followers. And and I remember opening that and just looking at it, my heart just pounding out of my chest. How many people right now know my home address? It it was right. shocking to me that he well, would let, do this. 
Well, it is. It is shocking. And, and, and by the way, it might also be illegal in the state of California as well, yes. but that's another issue that we can come <laughs> to in a minute. But l- let me uh, just ask you this and, and you know, just, to, um, you know, kind of has anything bad happened? I mean, did anything, did you get any harassment or any uh, kind of, you know, emails? Did people uh, re- sort of rise to Phil Johnson's bait and, and uh, come at you? Um, it, it just made us a little more paranoid. Um, <laughs> we, we had a car that was parking out in front of our house, and my son's like, who is that? And he ended up going out and just asking the guy, and it turned out he's selling a house in the neighborhood, and the realtor was right. in his house, and that's why he was yeah. parked outside. So, it's, But it's one of those things. It makes you a little more nervous than you normally would be. But I actually received a huge, beautiful bouquet of flowers that a supporter sent me and was like, you know, I know Phil Johnson did this to, you know, meant you harm, but I'm going to give you something good in response. And that was just such a sweet gesture and something I just really appreciated. But, but yeah, it was, it was unnerving to me personally, but, um, in the end, I mean, so far, nothing, uh, bad has happened. Nobody's come on my, you know, front doorstep or anything and said anything nasty, but, it was it was just unnerving. Yeah, well, I can certainly imagine how it would be. I mean, I've done some tough stories of people, and sometimes, you know, even when they don't threaten you, you you know, you you're like, uh, might could they threaten you? Might they threaten you? And 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 I f- have found myself, uh, you know, seeing packages in my mailbox and wondering if I should open them in the past. So <laughs> so I I get uh, where the paranoia might come into mind. But uh, Julie, I want to pivot just slightly in our conversation and maybe take it away from you. Uh, mm-hmm. specifically, and just talk about the issue generally, because Bob Smetanya, who uh, writes for Religion News Service, did a couple of tough articles on Dave Ramsey, and he mm-hmm. got doxxed as well, and um, where his personal information was um, was uh, sent around to uh, at least a 1,000 people, according to Bob, and uh, uh, he said he got about 100 emails as a result of that, where people were, you know, uh, he said he got a couple of the emails that were support, actually supportive, but many of them were critical. And I, I guess I just wanted to ask your opinion about, um, you know, this whole thing, this whole practice of doxing someone. I mean, is that kind of what things have come to these days? Whenever you can't win the argument in the public square, whenever your whenever your uh, position doesn't stand up to scrutiny, rather than change your position or admit you were wrong or make some changes in your organization, you start attacking the messengers. Is that what we've come to? Well, I think it reveals the character of the people that are in some of these leadership positions and their tactics. They're used to bullying people. They're used to getting their way. I mean, you you talk about Dave Ramsey, that piece that Bob did, which was outstanding, just had, you know, instance after instance after instance of people saying this man is a bullying Man, I mean, he, when he doesn't get his way and control everybody, he he gets nasty, um, and so that's the sort of thing where we have people in leadership positions. We know this, we've seen this, where they're getting away with treating people in just abhorrent ways. And the same thing, you know, John MacArthur and his organization—they were the, the Masters University and Seminary was on probation with their accrediting agency, and one of the main complaints that the crediting agency had was that masters or that the masters faculty reported that it was a culture of intimidation and fear and bullying and that's what went on there so it's revealing and this was one of the main characteristics at harvest and james mcdonald was an atmosphere of bullying and intimidation rzim 
That's the same thing that we're hearing now from high-ranking employees, that there is a culture of bullying and intimidation. Something is wrong in our institutions, our Christian institutions, where we should be laying down our lives for each other, where we should be loving our neighbors we love ourselves, that we're actually treating them in such horrible manners. I mean, it shows the need for reform. It shows the need for putting character above the gifting when it comes to leadership. And I think people should rightly be concerned. It's shocking to me, honestly, that that Phil Johnson remains in his position after what he obviously did, not just doxing me, but then when he was called out, sure, he took my street address, he blurred it, but he never apologized. In fact, he was like, he he almost encouraged people to try and find my my address on the internet. And and then when he was called out because he said, well, I just scanned in this letter that I got in March or that I printed out in March. And when I said, you never sent me a letter and we started challenging him and somebody looked at the metadata and said, uh, this was a digitally created document in February, not March of 2020. And then he just started backtracking. And yeah, yeah, I mean, there's just, it's not a scanned document. It's digitally created. And he clearly, he even admits now that he added the letterhead and he added um, his signature digitally. I mean, he recreated a document. He fabricated essentially a document. And then he he essentially lied about it, you know, said this was from an original letter. And we can't prove that he didn't somehow scan it in and convert it to a, you know, a Microsoft Word doc. I mean, that's what he's saying now. He converted it to a Word doc, and then he added all these different things. I mean, again, people, it's just to the point of ridiculousness. So something needs to be done, and it's shocking to me that he's not being held accountable for it. Yep. Well, we've got to take a quick break, Julie. Uh, I am Warren Smith with Ministry Watch. My guest this week is Julie Royce with The Royce Report. We'll be back after this short message. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Warren Smith with Ministry Watch, and my guest this week is Julie Royce. And, you know, Julie, we mentioned very briefly Ravi Zacharias in the first half of the program, but I'd like to pivot in our conversation and talk a little bit more about the Ravi Zacharias situation. I mean, obviously, you and I have been writing about this and talking about this uh, a lot over the last few months. And in some cases, you know, for you and me, maybe not for lots of other people, but for you and me, it's, you know, been going back into the years that we've been writing and talking about this. But uh, but I w- but there's there's been a couple of new developments that have happened this week that uh, I really you know wanted to process out loud with you. You and I have exchanged some emails about this, and I just thought it would be helpful to maybe have this conversation uh, out loud, real time, sure. not face to face, but you know uh, almost face to face, ear to ear anyway. Um, 
And that is the fact that there are a lot of people now starting to apologize um, for their role in the Ravi Zacharias story. And, um, you know, Joe and Vince Vitale, um, uh, they they were um, senior leaders with Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. They posted a video online. You wrote about that. We've got a story coming out about that as well. One of Ravi's um, close associates, uh, Ruth Malorta, wrote a... Golly, well, it must have been a 25-page document, which was basically an extended kind of confession uh, about uh, you know her role in the situation. Uh, in a related story, Shauna Nyquist, who uh, is Bill Heibel's daughter, also issued an apology this week, uh, apologizing for her role in all of the terrible things that went down with Bill Heibel's and at Willow Creek Community Church. So uh, I guess, you know, I'll start with what's your take on all this? What's your thinking about why all these apologies are not coming out? Well, they're coming out because all of these people, to one extent or another, were complicit with a leader who we now know was a horrible sexual predator. I mean, Bill Hybels um, preyed on numerous women. He's never admitted it, but we, we now have, what, over 10 victims who have very similar stories. I mean, it's very clear. Yeah, and let me also add, too, that we do have the victim stories, but this is much more than a he said, she said kind of a thing. He, he, You're right, he has denied it, but the church did an investigation, right. and an outside group did an investigation. They both found the accusations of these women credible. So while he has not admitted it, um, yeah. Yeah. They're they're highly credible. Yeah, and it should be said that when these accusations first came out from from the victims, uh, when the Chicago Tribune did a story, they had a big family meeting at Willow Creek, and Shauna, from my understanding, I, I wasn't there, but um, she was with her father and uh, at one of these family meetings, and she publicly posted, I trust my father. And so she she was a part of the narrative that the women are lying and my father is telling the truth. And we know now the elders have all uh, resigned because of that and for their role in that. But Sean has been really, really quiet uh, this entire time. And there's a lot of the victims who feel wronged by her because she had come out publicly supporting him and basically supporting this narrative that the women were lying. And now it's like, why haven't you said anything? And and yet I know there's a lot of people who are like, well, she's not guilty for her father's sins, which is true. But at the same time, there was a level of complicity. And I, I think the same thing, Ruth Malholtra, she was the, the chief PR person for Ravi. She put out all the PR statements. She is the one that sent the statement in 2017 where Ravi essentially called Lorianne Thompson, her husband, Brad, extortionist and said he never was in that the, the sexting relationship was all one way and he never did anything, you know, untoward toward Lorianne. He was just trying to help her. I mean, she was a part of that, you know, to what extent she knew. Um, that, well, even from her own letter, she had a lot of reservations, and it sounds like she expressed them. But um, but Joe and Vince Fatale, probably, I would say, they had a, a lot. I mean, here, Vince was the director of the Zacharias Institute, director of the Americas, uh, part of uh, RZIM. So he was a high-up leader, and he furthered this narrative, and he he furthered it also to a lot of people, ministry partners. So there's just a lot of level of complicity with somebody that now we know lied 
And I think all three of these people, to one degree or another, perpetuated those lies. Um, well, yeah. Let me ask you, um, of course, I, I don't want you to speculate. Well, maybe I do want you to speculate about motive, <laughs> but I would re- but I would respect you if you did not speculate about motive, because probably an inappropriate question, an inappropriate response on your part if you did. Yeah. But nonetheless, I, I, I do have to wonder, um, you know, why was Shauna Nyquist quiet all, the, all that time? Why was Vince Vitale quiet all this time? Why are they speaking up now? And so let me just ask the hard question. Are these guys just trying to save their careers? Are they just trying to salvage their careers? Because, I mean, after all, Vince Vitale wrote a book with uh, Ravi Zacharias that was scheduled to come out this year. That book has been canceled by the publisher. Shauna Nyquist has her own, shall, you know, I hate to use the word, but let's go ahead and use it. She has her own platform. She's mm-hmm. written books. She's mm-hmm. got, you know, her husband is kind of a semi-celebrity uh, pastor himself. Um, are these guys just kind of realizing that um, they got to salvage their careers and put this behind them and that the only way they can do it is with some sort of a mea culpa and hope that people forget? Well, I, I get upset when people try to attribute motive to me, so I'm not going to do that. Um, God yeah. knows the heart and he knows the motivations, and that's something they're going to have to work out with God alone um, between them and God. And, you know, they're going to stand before him and give an account, not me. So um, the the timing I can just state what the timing is, and we all see it. I mean, Ravi, the report on Ravi came out, and it was it was even worse than we had imagined. One woman saying that she was raped multiple times by Ravi. Um, and I think with Shauna, the, the thing that precipitated it was that her husband was going to lead worship at an event, and people started calling him out publicly. And there was an author, especially, who has a decent platform, who started calling him out and being like, hey, why haven't you said anything? And why are you allowed to just go and lead worship and do all this? And you've never you, you've never owned any of this, you or Shauna. Um, it, it's time for you to do something. And so this was really in, in response to, to that. I mean, I don't think anybody questions whether, whether it was in response to that or not. Um, but I would just say these apologies, you read them, and they are vastly different in the level of owning what was done wrong, in the level of naming what was done wrong, and then in the level of really grieving for the victims. Well, say more about that, Julie. In fact, and if you would, kind of put them on a continuum. I mean, which which one? Because I think that's an important question. Which of these apologies is truly heartfelt and sincere, and which one of them sort of feels like a kind of a pro forma? exercise of um, getting this behind me so I can move on. Well, there's no doubt Shauna Nequist, it was the shortest by far. It was a tw- it was an Instagram post. And, you know, she, she said she was sorry for her father hurting women. She never named what he did. She never called it abuse. And to my knowledge, she hasn't reached out to any of the victims. And some of them she knew. I mean, Vonda Dyer was on staff. Nancy Beach was on staff. Um, to my knowledge, unless something's happened, I mean, I reached out to people and, you know, um, I don't know of anyone now, and maybe there's some that she's reached out to and I, and I haven't heard from, or I don't know, but I, it currently, I don't know of any victims that she's reached out to and, and said, personally, I'm really sorry. Um, so I, I would say on the continuum, that one seems to take the least ownership and the least, um, 
naming of what happened. Ruth, right. Ruth, I would say, you know, it's interesting. Ruth, I knew Ruth, and and there was a part at which she actually mentioned me in her twenty six page statement that she she gave, and because I had said something to her on social media, basically saying, and and it was it was something that reminded me of the Ruth that I knew, which. I knew Ruth to be somebody who took a stand for what was right. And, and I just said, you know, this is the the Ruth that I knew and loved, but I've just been very confused by what's happened. And, you know, at what point did you know that Ravi was abusing women? You know, if those of us on the outside saw it, how could you not see it? And And now I know that at the point that she received that, she had been speaking up. And whenever she did speak up, and not to say this absolves her of responsibility, but when she did speak up, she was gaslit. She was brought into a you know a counseling session with Judy Dobler, and apparently she was told that she's just one step away from insanity, and you know basically questioning whether she can see things and see reality appropriately. And you know Ruth's a very sweet young woman. I mean, I, I'm not going to. She's not in her twenties. I doubt it. She's probably in her early thirties. Um, but I just see a different level of responsibility based and and she did have a high position for sure but being in the midst of a vortex like that with somebody you loved and you trusted and I think Ravi the Zacharias were friends of her family I mean it was just I I can't imagine what that was like and it must have been extraordinarily difficult and when she did speak up she became the problem which again is a, is a hallmark of a dysfunctional system that there never is a problem you're the problem right um, but Joe and Bef- Vince, but yeah. Before we get to Joe and Vince, uh, let me let me just uh, yeah. chime in here about Ruth, and uh, because I, like you, I have known Ruth for a long time, and um, you know she and and, I, and Ruth because of her role as a PR person, I have gone through her in the past to uh, do right. to do interviews with Abdu Murray and with the Vitalis and with others within the RZIM organization, and I also want to sort of name something that that I think you'll appreciate, Julie. And it's what I call the whistleblowers dilemma that that if you're in an organization and you know things are going wrong there, uh, it's it's a really hard situation to be in um, because at some level, if you're in the organization and things are going badly, you're complicit in those things that are going badly. If, you know, mm-hmm. knowing when to come out of the organization, knowing when to speak up, knowing when to maybe keep silent so you can you know learn more so that when you speak up you will actually be believed these are all really difficult uh decisions that people have to make and i re- and i know that they would be hard for someone like ruth um but uh and maybe for Shauna. i i've never met Shauna, so i don't know her but i've also got to say on the other hand that none of the people that we're talking about not Shauna, not ruth not vince and joe vitale were uh, rookies. These guys were experienced people. Uh, they'd been in the national media spotlight for years or in some cases decades. Um, I'm grateful to them for finally telling the truth, finally speaking mm-hmm. out, finally doing the right thing. I think we should acknowledge that, and but I don't think we should make heroes out of them. That's my opinion. Yeah, I, I think that's a valid opinion. And I think they're going to be working through their own complicity for a long time. And I think some of them, you know, what I heard in Ruth's letter is, is that she's asking those questions. I don't think she's come to the point as fully as Vince and Joe have where they're like, this was our fault. 
we were a part of it. Yeah, well, let's go on to Vince and Joe, because you think their apology may be the most profound and sincere. Is that I, what I'm hearing? I think it shows the most, uh, what I say, like they're further along in the process. So it, it is a process of coming to realize and then coming to own and then coming to say, I owe you all an apology. And I mean, they owned it in a, in the most complete and full way. Honestly, I have ever heard somebody own it. Um, they didn't make excuses. They didn't try to, you know, say any kind of uh, ameliorating circumstances. This is why you should, you know, think differently of me. They just owned it. They just got out there and said, and this is why, you know, Joe saying as someone who's who's really talked about uh, the God who regularly sees women, I, I I failed to see the woman, the victim, and I didn't give her her voice en- enough weight. And and Vince saying, you know, not only did I not push for investigation when Lori Ann Thompson first came out, and I even I read the emails. I mean, how could I have not seen that? Um, and maybe I saw. I did, he didn't say I saw what I wanted to see. I have heard that from a lot of <laughs> RCIM people. Um, but he but he said that's that's my that's my fault, and I misled people. I misled partners. And the thing I, I think the thing I love the most about what they said is they 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 said at the towards the end, they they said, you know, we're at the very beginning of this process. And and they they didn't kind of say this is over and done. Like I remember when when Willow Creek got up and they kind of the elders made their statement. And then they're like, this is the final statement we're going to make. Yeah. And it's like nobody could talk about it, right? What they said, which is so healthy and so helpful, is they said, we're at the beginning of a process. And as we pray and learn, we hope to increasingly identify selfish dispositions, unhealthy patterns of behavior, wrong thinking, and specific failures that we are responsible for and we need to repent of. That posture of just basically falling at, at the mercy of the public and and of the victims who they hurt so badly. I mean, they really owned how unbelievably painful this must have been for Brad and Laurie Ann Thompson, who were publicly called extortionists. And I and Laurie Ann, supposedly the temptress. I mean, it's just absolutely devastating what they what they did to that couple and their their entire family. I mean, I remember Laurie Ann telling me that she found out about the 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 article in Christianity Today in 2017 where she was accused of being an extortionist and of sending unwanted nude photos to Ravi Zacharias, she found out about that from her children who came home from school because they were talking about it at their Christian school. Wow. I mean, can you even imagine? They had to sell their house and move to a new community. I mean, this is this is the level of devastation this stuff causes to people. And as a Christian community, in some ways, we're all complicit in it. Because there was a lot of information out there about Ravi Zacharias that a lot of us didn't notice. I didn't notice it in 2017. I wasn't really paying that close attention to it till later when um, Steve Boffman, who wrote the book Cover Up the Kingdom, he sent me his book. That was the eye-opening experience for me. But I think a lot of us are complicit, you know? So in, in a way, we can point the finger, yeah, but we can also say, why didn't I call it out? Why didn't I see it? And I think this, as as we hear these apologies, I think as a Christian community, we need to be participating in their repentance. We need to be thinking about in what ways are we doing that right now? I mean, in what ways right now are we shooting the messenger and are we vilifying the victims? This is a pattern in the Christian community. Whenever there's a celebrity pastor or leader accused of anything, and you and I report on it, Warren, you know, 
we get attacked. Yep, that's and right. people don't want to believe the truth. So I, I hope we're learning and maturing as an evangelical community and that we're going to be more quick to own our stuff and to recognize um, victims and to listen to victims. Well, I hope so. Well, I hope so too. And I think that's a good word and a good word for us to close with today, because I think in some ways, both of those stories really relate to what you just said, your doxing story and uh, this this story mm. with all of these apologies. I think that they hopefully will lead us to a place where we can take some steps, not just to apologize for the past wrongdoing, but to take steps to make sure that this sort of thing never happens again. Amen. Well, Julie, once again, let me just say thanks for being on the program. It's, I, I always get smarter when I talk to you, and I really appreciate your time, the work that you do, and uh, your willingness to collaborate with us here at Ministry Watch. So thanks a bunch. You bet. I feel the same way about you guys. Love the work that you do and so appreciate your partnership and ministry. So thank you. You bet. Well, to find out more about Julie's work, you can go to theroysreport.com. That's R-O-Y-S report.com. And of course, to find out more about Ministry Watch, you can go to ministrywatch.com. You can really help us out a lot if you'll rate this podcast on your podcast app. It doesn't cost you a dime, only takes a couple of seconds, and it really does help the program quite a bit. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Steve Gandy. We get database technical and editorial support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DeBerry, Christina Darnell, and Casey Suddeth. I'm Warren Smith, along with my guest this week, Julie Royce. You've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.